shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakewood, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, that old clock on the wall tells us once again it's time to go Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Zebalero. And with me always is the guy, the one and only, Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing fine. Uh, got to turn some ammunition to the smoke and noise. Uh, we just wrapped up Kilted to Kick Cancer. It's uh, It's been a good good week. You know, and uh, Kilted to Kick Cancer, I do have to say, you did follow through with the video of uh, Chris Subalero pajamas. So I, wanna, I appreciate that. And if you haven't seen it, go ahead and uh, pimp the blog so people know where to go and check it out. And, and I think they got to do it. They got to go see it. I, uh, yeah, it only took a, what, a hundred dollar donation from you and a fifth of tequila to get me to do that. So, uh, regardless of um, what it was, man, if it only takes a fifth of tequila to make you do stuff in a hundred dollars, we're going to do some talking. Hey, I, I whore myself out cheap for the charities that I support. So. Very well. That's very well seen and, uh, very well appreciated. So great show last week. You know, we talked yeah. about what to do when we have challenging partners and, you know, we got an email. So why don't you go ahead and talk about that email and, uh, share what one of our listeners had to say. Yeah, we got an email from a uh, longtime listener, uh, who's, uh, 53 years old, had, had some problems with a partner and, and asked our guidance on it. Uh, he's been with the same private EMS service for 12 years and, and got a new partner, a uh, 21-year-old uh, woman just out of uh, just out of school with her very first EMS job. And, and he says she was a very uh, competent and knowledgeable paramedic uh, and had no problems working with her, uh, with her clinical skills or anything. But his problem was that she could not navigate the city that they were assigned to and refused to learn the streets. And her her uh, justification was, well, I have my phone. I have Google Maps or, or MapQuest or whatever. I have my phone. I don't need to know the street. And she wasn't from that area. And he said it got to be so bad that, that he finally had to just request a new partner and refuse to work with her again because of way too many 10-minute trips turned into 20- and 25-minute trips, uh, according to uh, the Google Maps on her phone, and uh, he just he, he couldn't resolve the problem and unfortunately had to request a new partner. So, Chris, you're, you're a new EMT yeah. or a new medic working in a new city uh, uh, and, and with a new employer. Is it your responsibility to learn the streets, or do you just rely on your technology? Well, let me ask you the question. Where, are, where am I in my career? So I think that that's the important question. You know, if I'm a new paramedic, <laughs> You know, I think the things that we do in paramedic school set us up for this type of failure. And you know, uh-huh. here, here's a here's a, a, a you know here's a partner who's been in the system for a long time. You know, he knows the streets, he knows the shortcuts, he knows the one of the things I always ask my partner before I open the map book in, in a new area was, do you know where we're going? Because if they knew, you got to respect that. You know, you got to. But you know, as a younger paramedic. You know, it's the bravado, it's the ego, uh-huh. it, it's it's the things that you think that I can do without, you know, and this is the society we're in, Kelly, the, you know, the younger folks now are, are using this, you know, this this uh, technology to, to do things. I got to tell you, today, I, I'm in Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, I needed to go to one of the local stores, I went ahead and punched it into my phone, and it took me exactly where I needed to go, except the the store wasn't anywhere near that area. And when I had to call the store and say, hey, where are you exactly? It was like a quarter mile down the road. 
So you can't always, you know, go with this technology to say, I'm going to get to somebody's house in eight minutes and 59 seconds and it'd be successful. You've got to be able to, you know, trust your partner. And if your partner's the Uh one who's going to take you to the next level to understand the city, regardless of where you are in your career, you've got to accept that experience and you've got to welcome it. Well, you know, this, this kind of strikes me as the, the sort of thing, uh, the, that you hear about in the military where the, the brand new uh, shiny second lieutenant gets uh, assigned a platoon and, and is told, first and foremost, rely on your sergeants. Uh, they know what they're doing and they'll make you look good or they can make you look bad if, if, you, don't, uh, if you don't win them over. And it uh, sounds like this girl didn't rely on her sergeant. She had a, a, a uh, EMT who had been working that city for, for 12 years and knew it well. Um, and, and didn't rely on it. And, and that kind of highlights one of the things that we see in, in EMS education. One of the flaws in, in current EMS education is, is we don't put a whole lot of emphasis on, on the things that are outside uh, clinical practice. Um, there is a, you know, <laughs> we don't pay enough attention to the operations aspect. Uh, and, and we hope that that sort of thing is taken care of in on-the-job training. And, and apparently this girl's put on the truck without that on-the-job training. Uh, or she, she just refused it and refused to learn the city. Right. Um, you know, our, our trucks, every one of our, our ambulances has a um, uh, mobile data terminal with turn-by-turn directions and mapping in it. Um, and they are notoriously unreliable. We we joke that you know our our satellite GPS system is is two 1950s era satellites communicating via tin cans and a really really long string, uh, but they're prone to telling us uh, you know that the turn we're supposed to make uh, was about a hundred yards behind us right. uh, when when there's no other turn to make. If you if you plug in in my area, if you plug in the juvenile detention center. Uh, into our, our mapping system, uh, the turn-by-turn directions will bring you directly to Chuck E. Cheese. That is awesome. How awesome is <laughs> yeah, that? I found that kind of, I found that kind of fitting. But, Here's but something that they're, they're off. There, there are limitations right. to the technology, and, and as a competent provider, you have to be able to deal, uh, have to have you know alternate means of, of finding your way from a hospital to the other. However you got to go about it, by memorizing a map book or... Or programming waypoints into your into your uh, GPS or whatever you got to do, um, you do that, and you don't just blindly rely on the technology. But here's um, you got, you, the, the listeners are out there screaming, and what they're saying right now that we have to re- reiterate for them is you shouldn't be looking at your phone while you're driving anywhere. Exactly. You exactly. Gotta, you've got to be able to know the area you serve. You've got to be and, and the the partner who knows the area can't be in the back delivering the highest quality of patient care, looking out the little window, bending over mm-hmm. to figure out where the heck we are because we should be at the hospital already. And, the, you know, the, the, it really is the responsibility. This, this is a team. And, and mm-hmm. the team is when I'm providing patient care, get me to the hospital. When you're providing patient care, I'm going to get you to the hospital. But it's not about me looking at my phone while I'm driving. It's not about me negating what my partner has to say. Mm-hmm. Teamwork is teamwork, man. Yeah, you know, and and those the, your mapping programs don't tell you what streets are under construction or what streets uh, have heavy traffic at a particular time of the day. The only people that has that uh, people that have that kind of insider info are the EMTs that drive those streets every day. So so new medics take take heed 
Um, rely on your partners, the people who know the streets or, or know the system better than you do. Um, and, and don't pretend that you're the only one on the ambulance with a brain. Um, and, and that's probably where this relationship failed is uh, she, she didn't think she needed to listen to anyone else. Yeah, but I think uh, there's a failure also here on the leadership because if... Yeah, if putting her out there in a position to fail. Well, not even that, but if this partner comes and says, I'm having trouble with, with, uh, with my partner because the, they're not using my experience, they're using their... Uh -huh. The leadership had to go back and say, now listen, you've got to be able to, to... I'm not changing your shift. You guys aren't yeah. moving shifts. You've got to learn to work together, and your yeah. partner is the best resource that you have. Make it work. And you guys be successful, or I'm going to have to help you be successful somewhere else. That's one way to look at it. We have, we have a different perspective on that. You have the, the the leadership's perspective, and even though I've I've been a supervisor in the past, I'm I still think think like a grunt most of the time. So uh, I can sympathize with the gentleman, but you you raise some good points. You know, you can't just shift people around because uh, they refuse to work together. You got to you got to make the relationship work. I agree. Well, so, see. what do we got for news today, man? Man, is it to me first, or do you want to go ahead and jump first? Well, I'll... I'll I think we're going to go to the same first story, so why don't yeah. you go ahead and take it? Yeah, I'll, I'll address the elephant in the room, the, uh, the uh, uh, active shooter incident at Umpqua Community College in Oregon. Um, CNN's latest report showed that there are 13 dead, uh, over 20 injured, and uh, the shooter has been, quote, neutralized. I don't know whether it was with his own hands, uh, which is common for these kind of cowards, or if the police managed to take him out. But, um, oh, man, I'm not going to say anything. There, there are people, pundits on, on both sides of, of issues that are, that are close to me that, that are, are dancing in the blood of the victims, and I'm, I'm not going to editorialize. I'm just going to offer prayers to the families of the dead and wounded, and... Uh, Offer my support to uh, the the first responders and EMS providers that had to deal with that incident, um, and and hope uh, that some healing occurs in the days to come. You know, one of the things that I think is very very sad is it seems that you and I, every two months or so, we're talking about a story as such. And uh, even before we started recording today, you know, we we kind of had a, a personal conversation and. And these are scary times, man. And I'll reiterate, you know, where are we safe? We can't go to school. We can't go to church. We can't go to the movies. And, uh, you know, and it's not just college. We're talking about, uh, you know, we're talking about elementary schools. We're talking about, and these are big challenges now. And, you know, we really have to start thinking about provider safety. But let's mm -hmm. even move away from the shooter at the school. How, how long before we start to have these first responders that are going to be showing up to take care of the victims, and, and they're going to become targets as well? And, you know, I asked the question once again, and it seems that I always come back to the same question. Is it time to arm our paramedics? Is it time to give them body armor because of what's going on around the world? And, and once again, I, I say that uh, philosophically I will not oppose uh, an EMT uh, carrying a weapon on duty if it is legal to do so. Uh, that's personal choice and, and as a, a Second Amendment advocate and a libertarian I'm not going to impose my views uh, on someone else and I'm nor am I going to deny uh, another human being a legal means to defend himself. 
personally, that choice is not one that I would make. Uh, it's just too problematic working on an ambulance. But I can easily see another person uh, choosing to carry. Um, I just, you know, ultimately it all boils down to this. Uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. There are no safe places anymore. Uh, the evil or deranged people in our society aren't wearing signs. Um, they look just like the rest of us. Uh, and there is no there is no place where you can steer clear of where there's a, a, a you know brightly lettered sign said you know beyond here there be dragons. Uh, you just got to you got to take responsibility for your own safety. Be careful uh, and what you're saying. Keep your head on a swivel because it's a, it's a dangerous world out there. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Let's go ahead and switch gears. I'll give you my story. We're going to go to Belmar, New Jersey. And a man arrested for swindling a volunteer EMS company out of $1.6 million. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I thought was pretty amazing. Between March 2008 and March 2015, uh, $1.6 million seemed to have disappeared. And here was a leader of the organization, as well as the treasurer. So not only was he you know, in charge of the system, he was also the treasurer. And he decided to use the... Uh, the money from the agency as his private ATM machine and uh, even wound up writing, you know, checks to himself. You know, th th this is just crazy. I mean, this is yeah. a guy now, it's one one count of first-degree grand larceny, faces up to 25 years in prison, and I think uh -huh. he should get all 25 years. I mean, you have the trust now of the organization, you've got the trust of the community, and uh, what you decide to do with that trust is you decide to steal, uh, you know, one and a half million dollars. And uh, yeah. I think it's deplorable. You know, EMS, volunteer EMS agencies are closing every single day, Kelly, mm -hmm. because they can't, you know, sell enough chicken and, and sell enough baked goods to keep gas in their ambulances. And uh, I, it, was a little, it was a disgusting, to me, it was a disgusting article. It was a disgusting uh, display of professionalism. And uh, whatever happens... You know, I think is what happens. He deserves, yeah. You know, and and the sad thing is, that this is not an unusual pattern. New leadership takes over. They find out that the other guy was looting the treasury. Um, and this is this is something Nancy McGee and I have had umpteen conversations about. And, and she makes an excellent point. We need if volunteer EMS is to survive, uh, it needs to stop being run like a social club. Uh, and it needs to be run like a business uh, with adequate fiscal controls in place. If one man was able to loot the treasury of this ambulance service for $1.6 million, there is one thing that is a virtual certainty. There were not adequate fiscal controls in place. Uh, and, and while that thing might happen in businesses as well, um, doesn't happen near as often. Um, when you have outside auditors, you have... You required multiple signatures on checks. You're talking um, about seven years yeah. here, Kelly. Seven yeah, years. yeah. It, it had been going on for quite some time, um, and, and and I can you can envision how this would go. This was you know this guy held held the reins of the service, uh, and and he had most of the power, and there was no checks and balances in place. Um, and a business needs to have those things in place. You may be. Uh, doesn't mean that you have to be uh, corporate and soulless uh, um, to to be a business. You just be a business that is staffed by volunteer man hours, um, and that's the way you're going to have to be. Uh, virtually every EMS agency. I hope this. I hope they throw this guy 
uh, in the clink and keep him in there uh, amongst all the dangerous criminals for, for a long, long time. Because not only did he just steal money, um, he violated the public trust. Uh, he, he screwed more than just a uh, volunteer ambulance corps. He screwed his entire community uh, of the care and, and, and uh, the resources that that uh, ambulance service uh, could provide. So. You know, and here's the thing, too, that I think is important. And we've touched on this. Every time this happens, uh, you know, we say EMS agencies behaving badly, individuals behaving badly, uh, narcotics, money, equipment, you are going to get caught. The eventuality oh, yeah. is you're going to get caught. If you're doing anything that is uh, crazy like this, please just stop now. Protect yourself. Let's not get a black eye within the career field. You know, think about your system. Think about the, the community you serve. And, uh, you know, don't, don't, let's not do these illegal things. But what, what do we got for our next story? Well, you know, you, you <laughs> perfect segue. Uh, uh, yeah, Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, a 44-year-old EMT for Northwest EMS uh, was caught exchanging inappropriate uh, sexual pictures and text messages with a 16-year-old girl that he met while transporting her to the hospital. I don't, you know, I don't know what to say about this other than the fact that this is not an EMT. This is just a predator who happens to work as an EMT. Um, uh, you know, speaking as a 40-something-year-old a man, I find it, you know, repugnant that, that uh, someone would be, uh, my age would be exchanging sexual messages with a minor. Uh, and as a father of a daughter, this is, this is the kind of thing that, that uh, makes the, the beast rattle the bars of his cage. If, if I were a dad and caught someone... 44 years old, my age, uh, sending inappropriate sexual uh, images to my daughter, um, his life would be in mortal danger. Uh, <laughs> and um, this is this is something that needs, you know, the guy admitted to it. He said things went too far, further than they should have. I realized it was wrong, and I stopped communicating with her. Uh, and then he expressed concern to the detectives arresting him that uh, he might lose his job over the allegations. Yeah, buddy, you need to be worried about losing your job, and, and you're darn lucky not to be losing your life. Um, this is just uh, so far beyond the pale that, uh, that uh, I, I lack the words to describe it. Yeah, I mean, just crazy. I don't, I don't even I don't even have the words to uh, you know to even comment on it. So I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to go move along. Our next story got a lot of play on EMS One, and, and I want to go ahead and bring it up. We're going to go to Woonsocket, Rhode Island. CVS has announced that it will start selling Narcan without a prescription in 12 states over the counter. You know, over 44,000 people die from accidental drug overdoses every year, the article says. And the vice president of pharmacy professional practices at CVS says that Narcan is a safe and effective antidote to opiate overdose. And by providing access to this medication in our pharmacies without a prescription in more states, we can save lives. And, and Kelly, I don't know where you stand on this. You know, when, when we think about our first responders carrying uh, Narcan, uh, you know, we've talked about police, we've talked about our responders, our fire brothers. Mm -hmm. But now they're going to start to sell it over the counter. Again, is this something that is going to make a difference, or is this something that is just going to precipitate a problem? Be prepared for Narcan prices to skyrocket. Uh, they've already skyrocketed with this entire keeping up with the Joneses trend of uh, everyone legalizing Narcan for laypersons and, and uh, 
and first responders. You know, and, and the the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I'm sure that, that Narcan appropriately administered, no one can argue that it is a safe and effective antidote. Uh, but it is not a benign drug. It is not a benign drug. And it takes some education and training to know when to appropriately administer it and when to keep it in the drug box. Um, what's going to happen when... You know, I can't count the number of times when when police officers have suggested that I give a patient Narcan for cocaine, for methamphetamine, for PCP, or a patient who is uh, uh, on X and and wigging out, or or a patient who is taking a speedball, which can be particularly dangerous. Someone's right. mixing amphetamines or or, or uh, CNS stimulants with. Uh, with heroin, and then you counteract the heroin with Narcan, and what have you got? Uncontrolled central nervous system stimulation. You know, you got some guys, you know, probably uh, profound hypertension and, and possibly seizures and, and tachycardia and everything else that goes on with that. Okay. It's not something you can just indiscriminately administer. Um, I, Chris, I just finished a I just finished a, a paramedic and EMT refresher with thirty something EMTs in there. And it was distressing on the final exam how many people thought you should be administering Narcan. And this is after I gave the, the uh, state-mandated update, lectured on the, the perils of indiscriminate Narcan administration and what it can do if, if you give it to the wrong person or for the wrong reasons. Uh, and we still had uh, a distressingly high number of, of paramedics and EMTs um, thinking that you give it as punishment to wake someone up even when they're breathing adequately or that you give it for cocaine and marijuana uh, and this kind of stuff. And my God, if, if people who have just received a lecture on that sort of thing uh, in a training session uh, saying, no, don't do that, uh, can't be expected to answer it appropriately, how are we going to expect uh, lay people to do it when they're buying it over the counter at Walgreens? You know what? I mean, I mean, I think you're 100 percent right. But let me ask you a question: Have you ever given Narcan to somebody who was under and they started to vomit? Oh yeah. Have you ever given Narcan to somebody and they started to seize? Yep. So I, I mean, now what you're doing is is you're giving a, a and you said it. I mean, it's, it, it's a drug that that should work, but but there are things that you've got to watch out for when you give this drug. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now the patient's going to start to vomit. What are you going to do now when you've compromised their airway anyway? And, and there's, there's things that you need to be aware of. The same thing with our first responders. We just don't give it to the first responders. They've got to get training. They need to be under a medical director. They need mm -hmm. to know what to do in the case of X. If this happens, do this. You know, there. And, and I'm trying to remember, and I, and I feel so bad that I'm going to bring this up, but I can't remember what it was. There was some article that was in the news last week, and, and I wanted to, to remember it, where it said that because of Narcan being available, heroin use is up some in, in obscene percentage of whatever. And and I'd like to be able to find these. If, if yeah. listeners out there, if you know what, what I'm talking about, go ahead and send us this article because, you know, we're really starting to see now that uh, the opportunity to say, maybe I'll just try a little yeah. bit more, and if things don't work out, hey, put that thing in my nose and squirt it in my nose and yeah. wake me up, you know? and The, the law of unforeseen consequences. So just, just crazy. And... and you know, the, this is not uh, a treatment for it. Uh, I think we're enabling the situation. And um, but let's go ahead and one more story before we uh, get up there in time. What do you got? This one, this one's a doozy. Uh, 
DC Fire EMS is considering hiring private ambulances to help with response times. News story says that uh, Chief Gregory Dean uh, asked the DC Council on uh, last Tuesday for authority to hire an outside company to provide ambulance service to help relieve his overtaxed fleet. Chief Dean's plan has the support of the Mayor Muriel Bowser, and under that plan, uh, DC Fire and EMS would contract with the third party provider and a DC engine with paramedics would still be dispatched to every call but then they'd uh, uh, triage the call once they arrived and the the less acute or the less serious calls would be handed off to a uh, private ambulance and I gotta tell you you know um, they're going about this the wrong way yeah. Uh, this is a Band-Aid solution to a systemic problem. Right. Um, you've got a system that's got cancer and you're trying a Band-Aid approach. First of all DC Fire EMS has a pretty abysmal track record of determining what is acute and what is not acute. And I can't help but think that they, they do a heck of a lot better if they hired the private EMS service to handle the acute calls and handed off the less serious stuff to DC Fire EMS. I think that would probably be a lot more appropriate. I think there's just a couple of people. I mean, I, I mean, to, to categorize the whole system as being inefficient and in dealing with acute, I, I think is unfair. But you know, here, here's the thing that I, how much is that going to cost? Why don't you just take the same money and put more ambulances on the street? And you know, I got to tell you, for a private EMS agency, uh, you know, they're going to come in and they're going to want some, they're going to want some money to do this. And uh, you know, I think that you train people a little bit better. I think that you put more ambulances on the road during peak times. I think, you know, and no system is going to be flawless in the fact that you're going to run out of ambulance during some peak times. And, and mm -hmm. that's the purpose of for doing a demand analysis a couple of times a year to make the determination, do we need to add more resources? You know, we sit down with the data from the past 20 weeks. We look at it to say, how do we need to adjust our, our staffing plan? How do we need to adjust our resource plan? And then we make those adjustments for the next uh, six months, you know, whatever it is. And... But it's going to happen. You know, I can't count the number of times I've run out of ambulances in my career. Did that mean that I didn't do a good job of figuring out where the resources needed uh -huh. to be or uh, how many resources we needed on the street during a specific time? No. It just meant that there was a, a spike in the demand that caused some challenges. As that spike in the demand now starts to cause uh, and now starts to happen more often, you've got to meet that spike in demand. And I, and I don't know that that's really what's going on. But... Uh, I don't know that paying a third party to come in and do it is going to be the answer. I think you just have to get the resources you need to be successful. Yeah, and I agree, but I will disagree with you. I do think that the problems there are systemic, and it extends far beyond just a few people. You and I have criticized Chief Ellerby in the past, and it's and it's obvious. it was obvious then, and it's even obvious now, that, that the leadership alone is not – uh, is not solely to blame, or the lack of leadership is not solely to blame for the problems of DC Fire EMS. It is a cultural problem, and and as a a friend of mine, she's fond of quoting Jack Welch that a culture eats strategy for breakfast. You can have the best leadership in the world, but if the grunts don't buy into it, nothing is going to change. Me, I I feel sympathy for the good medics struggling in a bad system, and and. You, you're right, there are plenty of good medics at DC Fire EMS. It's just unfortunate that their talent and their dedication is being wasted on such a dysfunctional system. I think, personally, I think it's time to blow up the enterprise. You've changed <laughs> now. A couple of weeks ago, you said, well, maybe it's not time to blow up the enterprise, but now you've gone back two weeks later and say, you're, you're ready to go, let's put the self-destruct on? 
Yeah, let's put the self-destruct on and let's let's blow up the Enterprise and start over because uh, you know take off nuke the site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. And because and the side benefit that you'd get Congress as well. Now, who can not like a plan like that? That's right. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. So for the Secret Service that's listening, that's Kelly Grayson, not Chris Subalero. But anyway, so let me ask you this question though, just for yeah. your opinion. Does this have anything to do? And I know I'm going to start a fire here. Does this have anything to do with a fire department running an EMS system? Um, yes, I do. I think it has everything to do with the fire department running in the EMS system. Now, uh, it's not DC fire EMS's problems uh, are not unique by any stretch of the imagination. They're merely the most visible. Uh, and I, and I will freely admit that there are fire departments that do EMS well. The problem is they're just not the ones that everyone looks at because the biggest EMS system, fire department EMS systems in the country are usually a case study in how to do it wrong uh, and how to create rancor and discontent among the troops uh, when fire takes over EMS. There's another news story about a, a fire department taking over EMS in their area. And, and look, it's not that they can't do it well. It's that so often you hear that they won't do it well. And I think the problem stems from the fact that most places, uh, most fire departments view EMS not as a core mission, but as a means to an end. Right. It is a means to justify new fire trucks, current staffing levels, keeping these stations open. Hey, if we can say that we spent, we sent this million dollar pumper on uh, 3,000 calls last year, but 2,995 of them were emergency, uh, medical emergencies and not fires, uh, we can buy another million-dollar pumper a few years down the road. Um, and that's BS. Uh, I'm, I'm perfectly for fire departments running EMS if they run it well. So when the day comes when a fire department spends 80% of its funding on EMS and 80% of its promotional pathways on EMS uh, to coincide with that 80% of their call volume that is EMS, then I'll stand up publicly and trumpet how well that fire department is, is doing a job uh, at EMS because they have finally recognized what their core mission is. Um, personally, I think that the two jobs, uh, fire suppression and, and all the various extrication and rescue things that they do, and EMS are two separate beasts, and it's hard to be a master of both. You can be competent at both, but I think they're both uh, sufficiently important roles uh, that we need to specialize rather than generalize. And I think that, you know, the I, I don't know. I mean, this is a topic that we can get into. We could talk about forever, but I'm with you. You know, I think that there, there are challenges uh, with the FIRE uh, model. I think that, uh, you know, you and I have been in, in EMS for a long time, and, and these guys don't want to be running these calls. And I don't want to say all of them. You know, the, there are some fire agencies and have great paramedics who love to first respond and who love to treat patients and you could see it in their care you could feel it yeah. in their passion uh, you know that they're trying to deliver the very best that they can yeah. on the other side though you know you've got uh, private EMS agencies who, who go in there and they dismiss their first responders and they don't listen to their reports and and they say hey go out and get the stretcher for me and go bring in this uh -huh. equipment and and that's wrong as well so I mean there's both sides to this story but you know, I, I think that there's been a systemic problem with, you know, fire running EMS and having these challenges. You know, but that's just my opinion. I'm just giving you my opinion out there, ladies and gentlemen. But, Kelly, 
I think it's time. I think we've gotten to the uh, top of our hour, and uh, you know, I gotta say, it's another great week, and I, I feel better, you know, having you. It's like coming to a therapist. It's like I'm coming to a therapist. <laughs> I'm laying down on the couch. I'm laying out my problems to you, and you know, you're charging me money. Yeah, lie, lie down on the couch and tell me about your mother. That's. I don't know that I like that. But let's go <laughs> move along before you upset me. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Inside EMS and listening to Chris Cevallero and myself. We're always interested in hearing what you have to say, so email us at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to like us on iTunes. And for myself and my sexy co-host, Chris Cevallero, this is Kelly Grayson. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>